0: half million children in southwestern Haiti that are without access to shelter and drinking water and hygiene facilities, and they're increasingly under threat of these acute respiratory infections and dysentery diseases and cholera and malaria. I just looked it up. How many earthquakes have there been uh, this year, 2021, there's already been 13,515 earthquakes. Most of those, you know, you don't hardly even feel. You don't even know. But 13,515, and there's already been more severe earthquakes this year than any previous year in the last 10 years. 8.0 and above earthquakes. There's been three of those in 2021. 2021 or just consider the pestilence. Think about COVID-19 and having to shut down our churches and having to stay apart six feet and having to make sure we got the vaccine and we wore the masks and we did all the things that were necessary to protect ourselves as much as what was possible. And there's been more than 700,000 Americans who have died. From COVID 19. And if these statistics are right, this is what Google tells me. There's been 4.8 million people worldwide who have died from the COVID virus. Or think about the violence that's in our streets. Just a little over a year ago, there were people filling our streets late into the night, they were taking over complete blocks of cities and they were burning cars, and they were destroying businesses, and they were looting businesses and stealing and all of the things. They were keeping police out of certain areas, and you heard the cry for defund the police. Could, could we just correct the problems? We need the police. Could we just correct the problems? We need the police, and then it just gets, it continues. You, you think about free speech, and that's something that's Uh, valuable to us as Americans has been given to us in our Constitution that that freedom of speech and yet we have a cancel culture did you realize that if you said something 10 or 20 years ago and it got digitally recorded some way and somebody turns against you it's likely they're gonna bring it up and they're gonna use it against you even if you've apologized and acknowledged that what you said and did was wrong you'll be canceled and if you don't think they're coming for you they're coming for you Christians They're coming after you because what you say they don't like and what you proclaim they don't believe. And, you know, if you stand by biblical morality, they're coming for us, the cancel culture. Or think about immorality. I mean, there's immorality of every sort that's rampant in America. You know, today we define sexuality by how we feel, not by the science of DNA In other words, if you you did an archaeological dig somewhere and you came across some bones and you were able to uh, get some DNA from those bones, you really couldn't tell whether that was a man or a woman, because it could have been a man who thought it was a woman, or a woman who thought it was a man, or even the non-binary, I'm not either one, I'm just whatever I want to be at any particular given moment, can you imagine Can you imagine that's going on in our world? We become unmoored from the morality of, of God, and the result is that we have this immorality. We have more people living together outside the bonds of marriage than ever before, outside the commitment of marriage ever before. It's sort of like, let's test drive the car, let's give the tires a kick, let's see if this works okay, and if it doesn't, then we can go our separate ways, no divorce needed. And sometimes we understand their thinking. I mean, after all, marriages have been coming apart for so long that children sometimes don't trust marriage anymore, don't find its value anymore. But with the dissolution of the family, have become all has come all kinds of problems. Not the least of which are children who are broken. Children who are broken. I've had people say to me through the years of my ministry, well, you know, if we divorce, our kids will get over it. Well, they may get through it, but they'll never get over it. It will always be something that they remember, that they think about. And children from the dissolution of the family are broken emotionally, and they're broken socially, and they're broken physically, and they're broken spiritually, and they're broken economically due to the failure of the home or stop and think about abortion itself. We have an entire generation that simply decided to walk away from that issue. The most abused and neglected children in America are the ones that are growing in mothers' wombs. Abortion. In the state of New York in 2019, they passed a bill legalizing the killing of unborn babies until birth. They expanded Uh, who was allowed to provide abortions, and they scrubbed abortion from the state's criminal code. And after they had passed this bill, Planned Parenthood New York City posted on social media a video showing the abortion activists erupting into applause and cheers in the New York Senate chamber. We're cheering the killing of the unborn children, more recently on the house of the floor, just... A couple of months ago, on the House of the floor of the United States Congress, an abortion rights bill called the Women's Health Protection Act was passed. Uh, It was passed uh, all by the Democrats and by a handful of Republicans. It was intended, and is intended, to take away all of these state-level restrictions against abortions. Think Texas. All of these state-level restrictions against abortion. And the the House passed it. It likely won't get through the Senate. But it was passed to the celebration of the politicians and the activists. I don't think we should be celebrating something of that nature, do you? There were several congresswomen who testified before one of the subcommittees about the need to protect abortion rights and how important it was that they be able to have the the abortion that they had when they were younger. One of them was Representative Cori Bush, who's a Democrat from Missouri. This is what she said, to all the black women and girls who have had abortions or will have abortions, we have nothing to be ashamed of. We live in a society, she goes on, that has failed to legislate legislate love and justice for us, so we deserve better, we demand better, we are worthy of better. How about if we legislate love and justice for the unborn, who don't even have a voice in their lives being taken from them? Or the hot topic today is socialism, or democratic socialism. Think Bernie Sanders or AOC, Socialism. Did you ever think that you'd be living at a time when there would be more, an increasing number of Americans who want to replace free market capitalism with socialistic policies? Most of them don't even know where socialism came from or what, no, what, so, what socialism does to, to people and to nations that adopt it. Dr. Erwin Lutzer is one of my favorite authors. He wrote a book called, We Will Not Be Silenced. It's a pretty new book, the last year or so. And in the book, Dr. Lutzer writes, Today we face what is known as cultural Marxism. It is not being imposed on people on the war battlefields. Instead, it's a form of Marxism that wins the hearts and minds of people incrementally by the gradual transformation of the culture bombarded with exaggerated and illusionary promises people accept it because they want to they welcome it because they are convinced of its benefits now listen to this going forward it promises hope and change heard that before income equality racial harmony justice here it is based on secular values rather than judeo-christian morality it is known, he says, for, prof- for professing inclusion rather than exclusion and promoting sexual freedom rather than, that, uh, rather than the view that's restrictive, they say, restrictive sexual ethics that are found in the Bible. It is not stifled by allegedly narrow uh, religious traditions, but espouses progressive ideas that are deemed worthy of an enlightened future. Oh, we're now enlightened. Enlightened. We now know what we never knew before. I mean, 2,000 years of history have now brought us some new understanding that we didn't have before about God, about morality, about right and wrong, uh, about society. I, I said this on Sunday night several weeks ago in our study of Revelation. You ought to come. Be a part of our study of Revelation on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Last for an hour, and you, you would enjoy it. Um, But I said this several weeks ago that I believe that the Antichrist will ride into power on the back of socialism. I'm glad to be able to tell you that I finally found somebody that agrees with me. Dr. David Jeremiah just came out with a new book a week and a half or so ago. And in his chapter about socialism, this is what he writes, Socialism is tailor-made for the Antichrist's appearance. It creates global conditions that bring great stress and trouble, difficult days that will be hard to bear, and it demands a one-world system of government. You heard that before? Which Scripture says will be established before the end of history. In other words, we're watching prophecy come to pass before our very eyes. We are living today in what the Bible calls the last days. All believers since the first century have believed they were living in the last days. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, coming even now many Antichrists have come. In other words, the last days is a period of time in the the New Testament that begins with the person of Christ at his first coming and ends with the person of Christ at his second coming. And all during this period, there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to be a matter of upheaval and unrighteousness and ungodliness. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophet, has in these last days spoken to us by his son since the first coming of Jesus to the second coming of Jesus. This is the period that's called the last days. This period will be characterized by degradation and destruction and and, uh, deception and death. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, where I've been doing a lot of reading, says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. If you thought that we were moving moving towards some kind of amillennial better day that we were going to usher in the coming of Jesus Christ by everything turning up roses, you hadn't read your Bible very carefully, have you? Because the Bible says that During this period of time called the last days when all of these things, the degradation, destruction, the the deception, the death, all of these things that are happening, as you move closer to the second coming of Christ, they're going to reach their zenith. They're going to reach the pinnacle. 2 Timothy 3, 1 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. You know, that little Greek word that's translated as perilous in 2 Timothy 3, 1 is only found one other time in the New Testament. One other time in the New Testament. And it's found in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. Let me read it to you. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, and here's the word, exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. What does he mean when he talks about perilous times? He's talking about times that are exceedingly fierce. We're not in a world that's going to get better and better. We're in a world that's moving further and further away from God. God. A world that's turning its back more and more on god we have more of a secular society today that knows nothing about god or god's morality than at any other point that i know of in history and all of that is an indicator that we're moving toward the zenith we're moving toward the pinnacle which all points to the second coming of jesus christ now let me tell you something quickly Before the second coming of Christ to establish his kingdom on earth and put down the rebellion against him, there's something else that happens. It's called the rapture of the church. You don't find the word rapture in the New Testament, but you find the Greek word that means to snatch away, which is what the word rapture means, to catch away. There's going to be a moment when Jesus is going to come and he's going to snatch out of this world his children first before the judgment that he's going to pour out on this world. His wrath is poured out on this world that ends with his second coming. There are no signs for for the rapture of the church. There is nothing specifically we're looking for. It's an imminent return. It's an any-moment kind of return. Jesus could come at any moment. He's coming in the clouds, so go outside and look, see if there's any clouds. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ rise, those that are alive and remain at that moment are caught up together with the Lord in the air. And he says, So shall we ever be with the Lord. Yeah. We're out of here before the worst of this comes. But I like what Dr. Mark Hitchcock says. Dr. Hitchcock, I'm trying to get him here. He's a prophecy scholar not been able to get in his calendar yet, but he's a prophecy scholar. He's written thoroughly on, on this subject. He's a, an adjunct professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he writes, "'The rapture is an imminent, signless event. "'It's an event that could occur at any moment without warning.'" And then he goes on to relate something about Dr. John Walverd. Dr. John Walverd is a famous theologian. I have his uh, systematic theology in, in, my, uh, in my library. We studied it early, early on. That was the theology we studied early on, systematic theology, we, early on in my ministry when we were preparing for the ministry. He continues, Dr. John walver used to share an apt illustration of how signs of the times relate to the rapture in the second coming. He pointed out how there are all kinds of signs for Christmas. There are lights everywhere, decorations, Christmas trees, music, and even Santa in the mall. But Thanksgiving can sneak up on you. There are no real signs for Thanksgiving. He says, Dr. Walverd noted that the second coming of Christ is like Christmas. It will be preceded by many very specific signs that Scripture outlines. The rapture, however, is like Thanksgiving. There are no specific signs for its coming. Yet, if it's fall and you already begin to see the signs of Christmas everywhere, and Thanksgiving has not yet arrived, then you know that Thanksgiving must be very near. The signs of Christmas seem to be appearing, he says, all around us today. The coming of Christ to rapture his church could be very, very near. I believe that. As a matter of fact, at this age, I'd much rather see the upper taker than I had the undertaker. (laughs) Right? Right? I had just soon see Jesus uh, coming in the clouds to take me out of this world, snatch me out of this world before the worst of his wrath is poured out on mankind, rebellious mankind that I had to be here during that period of time. And I pray with the apostle John, even so come, Lord Jesus. I'm going to quickly move through these next six signs. There's six signs that indicate that we're moving toward the end. First, there's corrupt conduct. There's corrupt conduct. We just read about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 4. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. Have you ever known a more brutal day in the last hundred years? Brutal, despisers of good. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. A lot of people would rather be off running around doing something that they think of as pleasurable than they had to be meeting with the people of God for the worship of God, for the instruction from His Word. Not only corrupt conduct, there'll be counterfeit religion. Second Timothy chapter three verse five says, "Having a form of godliness but denying its power." From such turn away. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, listen to it. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Have you heard of deconversions? Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We have entire denominations that have left orthodox Christianity They've left the fundamentals of the faith. They've adopted a secular morality and now are promoting it. You can find some of those in our own city. They have big signs out, uh, rainbow-colored signs out. Counterfeit religion, and it's everywhere. You know, I don't like your narrow-mindedness, so I'm going to go start my own broad-minded way. Hey, I'd rather be on the narrow way that leads to life than the broad way that leads to destruction, right? And by the way, talking about Broadway, the fear that Hollywood might shut down because of the strike has got me so upset. (laughs) I am so deeply disturbed that my Hollywood entertainment is gonna go away. The fact of the matter is this counterfeit religion is what gives way to the one-world religion that's ultimately headed by the Antichrist when he establishes himself to be worshipped. Or number three, there's continual war. Continual war. Matthew 24, 6 and 7 says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. Wars and rumors of wars. Think about North Korea working on a nuclear bomb, don't you think for a moment they're not working on a nuclear bomb? Or if you will, think about China flying missions over Taiwan because they are determined to bring Taiwan back into China. Or think about Russia flying missions alongside of American, uh, Air, American uh, uh, Air Force uh, planes. Think about it or flying in American territory. Think about it. Continual war. Listen, we haven't seen anything yet. Thankfully, we'll be gone. The rapture will have occurred, and all of these worst wars will happen after we're gone. But there is a war of all wars fought against Jesus at Armageddon, and Jesus will defeat them, not with weapons and bombs and bullets, but with the word of his mouth. Or number four, there's catastrophic disasters, Uh, Matthew 24, 7, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various various places. I don't need to elaborate. Number five, there'll be calloused skeptics, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 9, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Here's our term, the last days. Scoffers will come in the last days, or those of you that are in our life group on Wednesday evenings where we're talking from the book of Jude, verse 18. It says, they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. Uh, You turn on the news, have you not listened to them making fun of Christians and Christianity? I mean, people who believe in biblical morality or biblical truth. I mean, today this is the way we do it. Well, that's your truth. And I've got my truth. I've got news for you. That doesn't work. Two plus two equals four. Two plus two can't equal five for you and three for me. There is God's truth. And yet we live in a world that doesn't even understand truth and they're skeptics, they're they're callous skeptics making fun of us because we believe in a morality and a Bible that goes back 2,000 years for the New Testament beyond that for the Old Testament. You mean you're still reading an antiquated book and guiding your life by it? Well, yeah, because it's the Word of God. It was inspired by God. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It is the Word of God. Every word that God speaks matters. Or think about the sixth characteristics, contentious cursing. Revelation 16, verses 10 to 11, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. You with me on Revelation? We'll get to this verse. And his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain and they blasphemed the god of heaven you know what it means to blaspheme it means to speak against it means to use language that you can't imagine i am sick of hearing the f word i'm sick of christians allowing corrupt communication To come out of their mouths when's the last time we stopped and thought about the way we talk you know people say well you know it doesn't matter what I say well what's in your heart is what comes out and what ought to be in your heart is the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy and the love of God that comes out not this contentious cursing and let me ask all of you moviegoers and I go occasionally to a movie how many GD's are acceptable in a movie And how many F-bombs are acceptable in a movie? When is it you're going to say, enough is enough? You don't take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Enough said about that. You get my point. So the question is, what is our response to be when we see the beginnings of these things? And I believe we're watching the escalation of these things that's only going to become worse as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, which means at any moment of any day, Jesus may sound the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and we'll be out of here. What's supposed to be our response? Number one, we need to serve with endurance. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 you, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardship. This whole idea of let's, we're going to get along, we're going to go along to get along, and you know, we're, going to, we're going to compromise in order for you to like us and for you to love us never works. They don't need what you have if what you have is like what they've got. What they need is somebody that changes lives, somebody that transforms people, somebody that does a work within that cannot be done by any human being. It's called conversion. And it changes us. And We've got to serve with endurance. The cancel culture is coming for you. It's already here. It's called diversity training. Now, look, parts of diversity training are good. There's no place for racism in the body of Christ. There's no place for sexism in the body of Christ, none of that. But but they're coming to re-educate you, and if they can't re-educate you, they're going to re-educate your children and your grandchildren. And what we're going to have to do as Christians is in the face of all of that, we can't give up the fight. We have to serve with endurance. Number two, we have to study with exactness. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Here it is, rightly dividing the word of truth. I don't care what Dr. Bottle Stopper says. I don't care what your latest emotional vision says. What I want to know is what does God's word say? And I want to rightly divide it we can disagree on some things and be agreeable but there's some things we can't disagree on and still be Christian in our disagreement number three we got to separate with expedience nobody ever says this anymore nobody ever says this anymore we got to separate from expedience we got to separate from false doctrine first Timothy 4 1 the doctrine of demons we got to separate from foolish questions 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, he says, Don't strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. We've got to separate. Are you ready? You're going to call me an old-fashioned holiness preacher. That's, that's, that's okay. We've got to separate from filthy living. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, here it is, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, here's the word, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And somehow we've decided that holiness and sanctification is all about the heart and doesn't have anything else to do with any, part of our, any other part of our lives. Hey, if it's in your heart, if you're being sanctified and made holy in your heart, it's going to be seen through the way you conduct yourself and your attitudes and your actions in the world where you live. Amen. And finally, number four, we have to share with exuberance. There's never been a better time for us to tell people that Jesus saves. There's never been a better time for us to come alongside people. Hey, listen, uh, throwing the gospel is a bomb. You know, you could stand at a distance and you could throw it at them and it'd explode all around them and it would sort of get on them and then ultimately get in them and bring conviction to them and they come to conversion as a result. Those days are gone. If we're going to see people saved, we've got to build relationships. we got to get to know one another. That's what's been so devastating about COVID-19 I wonder how much of that Satan is behind. COVID-19, because it isolates us, it separates us, we end up in our silos, and we're no longer building relationships. We're afraid to get close to anybody. By the way, I'm not suggesting you should just let down your guard at all. We have to be careful for a while until there's a herd immunity. We have to take precautions. I understand that. But we've got to move toward a place where we're building relationships with people that we can lead to Jesus Christ. And we've got to share with exuberance. I want to tell you, I am more thankful to be a child of the living God today than I have at any point since I was saved at 16 years of age. I'm thankful. I know the Lord Jesus is my Savior. And if you don't, this is the moment for you. My friends online, this is the moment for you. Jesus is speaking to your heart, and he's drawing you to himself right now. You say, well, I don't like what you're saying. I'm sort of angry about what you're saying. That's called conviction. That's called conviction. Remember when we used to have that in the church? Conviction. Conviction. And God is drawing you. He's trying to help you to see the answer is Jesus. you got to come to Jesus. Jesus wants to transform your life. Jesus wants to give you not only life more abundant here, he wants to give you life eternal. Dr. Billy Graham gave his last sermon at the age of 95. Maybe you saw it, as I did. But in that sermon, this is what he said. Our country is in a great need of a spiritual awakening. Amen. There have been times that I've wept as I've gone from city to city, and I've seen how far people have wandered from God. Of all the things that I've seen and heard, there is only one message that can change people's lives and hearts. I want to tell people about the meaning of the cross, the real cross of Christ. And then he said... He loves you. He loves you. He loves you enough that he wants to change you. He wants to transform you. He wants to make you like himself. He wants to give you a brand new life. He wants to take the old away and give you a brand new beginning. He wants to forgive your sins and make you his child. He wants to give you eternal life and remove the condemnation you're already under. But you got to come to Jesus. And we've got to share that message with exuberance. Now, nobody has ever said about me that your personality is an exuberant personality, Pastor right? You're laughing because you know it's true. I mean, I grew up playing golf. You know, you learn to keep your emotions level. And I have that English background where you're sort of stoic and you don't show a lot of emotion. But I want to tell you, I am churning within. I'm churning within on a constant basis. And there, I'm jumping over pews, though I'm not doing it physically, I'm doing it inside. You wouldn't want to see me jumping over pews physically. (laughs) And if I had to run the building, we'd have to have some of the medical help we have. (laughs) The message of the gospel is still the message that changes people's lives. And it'll change your life today if you'll come to Jesus Christ and put your faith in him.